Greetings. I am Dr. Sonia Whitaker, host of the podcast show entitled, What's Really Going On? A Spotlight on Solutions to Improving Student Achievement in America's Public Schools. And I am thrilled to share with you that this particular podcast episode and others is available via Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, Google Play, as well as via my website, which is sonyawhitaker.com, S-O-N-Y-A-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R.com. And I'm equally equally thrilled to share with you today that my guest is Mr. Joe Phillips. Joe Phillips grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, where he received his primary education in the Kansas City Public School District. He relocated to Warsaw, Missouri, and remained there until he enlisted into the Army at the age of 17. With perseverance, dedication, and passion, Joe was able to move up the ladder and earn his title as an Army officer. While in the Army, Joe obtained his bachelor's degree in criminal justice from the University of Central Missouri and a master's degree in business and organizational security management from Webster University. Alongside that, he explored many career paths, one in which was information technology. It was in that career field where he was promoted from an IT specialist to the position of director of technology. With honor, he proudly served his country until he retired in 2015. Joe then moved back home to Kansas City and continued his technology career as a manager of technology support services for the Park Hill School District. In 2018, Joe became the director of technology at Kansas City Public Schools, where he still serves. His motivation to change school districts stemmed from his discovery of a need of improvement at KP, excuse me, at KCPS, Kansas City Public Schools. He uses his gifts to ensure that technology enables people to excel and become the best versions of themselves. Joe's passion for making a difference in the lives of students sparked the decision for him to begin his doctoral work in educational leadership. It's his hope that he transformed each student at Kansas City in Kansas City Public School District for the better because he knows firsthand the challenges that the students in his district faces. This is the main reason why Joe came back to Kansas City Public School District to give back to the school system, which gave him his start. Without further ado, thank you so much, Mr. Joe Phillips, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. You know, I've like, I tried to do a, a thorough job of explaining a little bit about you. I think, however, that you can do an even more effective job. Could you please start out by sharing with the listening audience some information about yourself as well as your equity journey? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> I think you actually did a very good job explaining about me. Um, the only thing I might add in there is uh, I'm a proud father of five boys. Nice. Uh, married for 16 years now, um, so 
I, I've been able to raise them and, and learn a lot along the way um, with with them as well, which has helped me in my equity journey. And with my equity journey, uh, really my journey starts off with my own story. I, um, I, I'm not the kind of guy that grew up with a silver spoon. Uh, I grew up extremely poor. And uh, as you mentioned, I grew up in Kansas City Public Schools where I came back to and um, you know, I was I was the kind of kid that was so poor I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. Sometimes I didn't know where I was going to sleep at night. Um, to fit in with my peers, um, I would actually go to the dollar store or the thrift stores and get clothes, and then I would get some um, leather or other fabric from the fabric store and cut my own Nike swooshes or my own Adidas stuff and try to sew that onto my, my cheap clothes so that I could try to fit in. So that that was pretty much how I grew up, just never thinking I was going to amount to much. Uh, I barely graduated from high school, had my first kid when I was 17, um, and just you know didn't think that I was going to make it into a world of success at all. Uh, so I ended up joining the Army, and in the Army I really found that I could be something and learned that if I worked hard, I could move up. So I started working hard and then um, decided that I was going to go to college and try to become an Army officer, and that worked out well for me. And I did really well in the Army. Um, and then I was injured in Afghanistan, and the Army told me I had to require or to retire, rather. And so I kind of found myself trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do with my life. And I ended up um, fortunate enough to have a job in the school district that my children were going to as the manager of technology support services and I really loved that job and I loved that I could still give back to the community public service is very important to me and I also loved that I was able to do some things that really helped out some of the kids that reminded me of myself growing up uh, some of the projects that we were able to do were provide our students who don't have internet at home with internet hotspots that they didn't have to pay for um, I implemented our one-to-one -one program there and watch that grow and become very successful at that district. And um, I was very happy there, and I felt like I was doing amazing things. And then I went to uh, the COSIN conference in 2017, and I heard Dr. Mark Bedell speak about Kansas City Public Schools and the equity challenges that he has for his students. And being a former student of that district and living so close to Kansas City Public Schools, I just knew when I heard him speak that if I had an opportunity to come back home to my home district and do the same kinds of things that I was able to do for Park Hill, that I would be able to move that needle so much further. Um, you know, at Park Hill, I felt like I was able to move that needle or help move that needle from 60 to 70 for those kids. Park Hill is a very good district. It's an, a, a very um, high-income, um, upper-middle-class um suburban area of Kansas City, and I really felt like if I could do these same things for Kansas City Public Schools, I could help move the needle from maybe 40 to 70 instead of 60 to 70. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, that's my equity journey and how I got to where I'm at right now. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and staying on the topic of equity. One of the things that I do know is in education now, many people are using the term equity. We want to develop equity programs. We want to ensure that our practices are equitable. But I sometimes wonder 
whether or not we have any universal understandings about the term equity. So with that being said, I'd like to ask you, what does the term equity mean to you? Sure, that is a great question and one that I've spent a lot of time reflecting on. And what I have found equity to mean to me is getting out of the quantitative and getting into the qualitative. And what I mean by that is you can't approach equity through a lens of one-size-fits-all approaches for your students. Um, I see a lot of times where people will try to break their students down by demographics and then try to approach different solutions based on those demographics. And you're able to move the needle a little bit when you do that, but what I have found to be more successful is when you take the time to really understand the first and second order barriers that each of these students has uh, and then figure out the solutions to help them overcome their barriers so that you can get similar outcomes to students who don't have those same barriers. With that being said, barriers, barriers, the barriers being those things that are occurring in the lives of students that we serve, in my opinion, that serve as counterproductive to supporting students in reaching the academic and social goals that have been established for them. With that thought in mind, can you please identify what you believe to be some of the root causes of the problems that are associated with some students not having equitable experiences? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the problems that you have that's huge, especially in a, a district like mine and the urban core of a metropolitan area, is students are going to lose motivation for learning. Um, by the time a student gets to the end of third grade, it shifts from them learning how to read to they really have to read to learn, and that's the way that curriculum is designed right now. So at the end of third grade, shifting into fourth grade, schools start to leave these kids behind. And you can start to put in um, reading interventions and different things at that point in time to help them catch up, but at that time, the gap is so much bigger than if you could have identified that much sooner mm -hmm. and put interventions in place. You know, they're not going to be able to be reading on level by the end of third grade. And I think once you, a student starts to lose motivation, they really start to develop a, a toxic sense of self-worth and self-efficacy. And they really just don't believe um, that they can be successful at this. I know in my own life, that's what happened with me. I just didn't think that I was going to be able to accomplish these things that I would see others accomplishing. I just didn't think those things were meant for me. And so that really impacted how hard I was willing to work at the things I was being given to do. Um, and then I've seen the, the same thing with uh, my son who's dyslexic. And you talk about equity and part of that is special needs as well and, and accommodations and the things that are given to help him perform um, equal or, you know, equitable to his peers. And it's those same things where his motivation dipped, um, he wasn't willing to do the work that was necessary, he wasn't learning. And, you know, the first thing we actually approached on that was getting his motivation, just his self-motivation up to a point where he was willing to learn. Well, and that kind of leads me to my next question, which you identified um, losing motivation being as one of the root causes of the problem. What would you recommend that school district officials and teachers do 
to address issues associated with struggling with a positive sense of self-efficacy or a positive level of motivation need or the positive level of motivation needed to experience success in school and ultimately in life. What do educators do about that? So I think one of the things that schools can, can do is give kids, give our students an opportunity to be good at what they can succeed at. And what I mean by that is when you, when you start to work on motivation, it's not about fixing the problem that they're struggling with. So uh, students' motivation isn't going to drastically improve because they move from a second to a third grade reading level. Um, that's good, and they're going to feel good about that, but they're still going to have some you know, toxic self-worth going on. So, but if you can find other areas, and what we did with my own son was we got him into computer programming. We got him into engineering classes, things that didn't require the reading. And he was able to just learn about himself that he can succeed at something. Once a student's able to learn that they can succeed at something, you're now able to start transferring that back to the thing that they're struggling with, and you start to really get some good gains. And I think the other thing is to take a systematic approach and um, stop moving the teachers who aren't doing good in the grades that get tested on the standardized testing down to the lower grades where we think that it doesn't matter so much. I think that probably happens in way too many districts. And um, we're, we're putting ineffective teachers, and teachers work hard, but there are some that are ineffective and mm-hmm. some are, that are brilliant. But we need to make sure we're placing these teachers in the grades where they're going to have the best impact. And putting ineffective teachers in lower grades because those grades aren't tested really widens the gap instead of closing it at the most important grade. I I think that you bring up a very good point. And I want to make this as a follow-up to a conversation that you and I had previously. I shared with you, um, which most know that last week represented the 65th anniversary of Brown versus Board of Education. And I had the great honor of serving on behalf of Push Excel via the Rainbow Push organization, of serving as a moderator for a panel discussion regarding how far we've come toward accomplishing this goal of creating for equitable learning environments for all students. Now, here you are working in the heart of Kansas City. Can you talk about, from your perspective, how far we have come relevant to accomplishing the goal of creating equitable learning environments and share any experiences that that you have had or you know about how Brown versus Board of Education, the landmark case that ruled that schools could no longer be segregated, how that might have impacted either your particular school district or school districts in your area. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Brown versus Board of Education actually happened about – 30 to 45 minutes from Kansas City Public Schools. And Kansas City Public Schools was one of the first districts in the whole country uh, to desegregate. Um, the, the challenge was the way that they desegregated was not very effective. Um, it was about four people that got in a room and redrew district boundaries um, by and desegregated the white versus black schools. Um, the challenge was because of how um, property was sold to different groups, um, redrawing those boundary lines didn't really change which students went to which schools very much. And then additionally, um, when 
students were given a choice of staying at the school they were assigned or moving to another school. So, you know, there might be four white kids that were now going to go to a primarily black school, but those kids had a choice and they could go to a different school that was more or majority white um, and vice versa. And so although on paper and officially the school had desegregated, there was still lots of um, segregation happening uh, because of where people were forced to live in in the city. So here in Kansas City, we call it East of Troost, and if you know you go back through the city's history, that's where a lot of our minority citizens were allowed to live in the city was East of Troost. And that's something that's still uh, impacting our city today. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, uh, the district was taken back to court about how we were, you know, implementing desegregation and equity for our students. And this, the district was found that we were not doing a very good job. And we were told that we had to change that. And so by the time I started kindergarten in 1986, 87, um, I was getting in a taxi cab and being driven 45 to 50 minutes to school every day one way um, so that, you know, I could go to a school and we could mix up the populations um, a little bit better. So I grew up in this district um, learning about the the history of the district and why I had to be in a cab for 45 or 50 minutes each way um, to go to school. And I had a a very good educational experience here, um, but I could also tell that I got to kind of have my pick of schools, and there were other schools in the district that didn't have such a good reputation. Um, and it, it's kind of still impacting us today in our city. Um, in what way? What happened in the, well, so what happened in the 70s when we started desegging um, really, really actively is we had what a lot of people will call white flight out to the suburbs. And so the urban core um, became, you know, more people of color, more black and brown people, and it really changed the demographics of the district as well as the size of the district. So back before this happened, the district had about 77,000 students. Uh, today we sit at about 15,000 students. And then what also happened in the late 90s was uh, charter schools were allowed to come in. And what's really happened in our educational environment is, you know, we have this idea of school choice, but what ends up happening is um, charter schools, they don't have all the same um, resources we have to take care of our special needs students that we have. They also get to be a little bit more selective in the students that they take in and retain. Whereas, you know, Kansas City Public Schools, we take all students who come to our door, and we should. We're the public school district. We should take all students who come to the door. Um, and that's our job, to educate our students on behalf of our community. Uh, but the the challenge is, you know, the population of students that are in our charter schools versus our public school system um, are kind of different, and you'll see that the demographics of those students are also um, highly different. And then the demographics of the students in our suburbs right around the Kansas City urban core compared to urban core is still very different. And there's some revitalization happening Mm -hmm. in the urban core of our city right now, and there's a lot more... um, people from the suburbs coming back to the the urban core, and we're noticing that that's starting to shift our district demographics in a different way, and um, that's actually opened up some new interesting conversations as our district goes through change yet again. I'm sure it has. So one of your many areas of expertise is in the area of technology, 
And I'd like to share with our listening audience that one of the things that drew me to you is actually the direct result of an article that you wrote. Can you share about the article that you wrote and why you felt compelled to share that? Yeah, absolutely. So I was just sitting at my desk a few weeks ago and a laptop was brought in and placed on my desk and it had stopped a bullet, essentially. Uh, It had a bullet hole in it. Like literally stopped a bullet, correct? Yeah, a literal bullet um, hole in a laptop. You could smell the, the burn of the bullet going through and... It was put on my desk not because it had necessarily been shot, um, but because the student who had the the laptop in their backpack at that time wanted to keep it because it saved their life. And so, 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 let me make sure I'm understanding this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You had a student who was leaving from school or coming to school when this occurred. Yeah, so it was at the end of the day, and they were about halfway home from school mm-hmm. um, when a car pulled up and started shooting. Um, and they started running, uh, and they felt the impact of a bullet in their back. And they they thought they had been shot, um, but adrenaline starts pumping in moments like that. So when they got to a safe spot, um, they checked for bullet wounds in their body and didn't have any. So they started going through their backpack, and they found that... Um, the backpack had been shot, and the bullet had gone through some stuff, and it actually ended up lodged in the battery of the laptop. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, that it was put on my desk, and it just it it hit me in that moment that this is really an equity issue. And the reason that it it really hit me that way is because um, the last time I had seen a shot laptop was when I was in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and um, it just it really took me back to Afghanistan in that moment, and remembering that I had to put on all of my body armor, um, my tactical vest, my helmet, you know, carry my weapon, just to get to the building next door for a meeting, mm-hmm. um, or just to, to go to the building that had our showers or something, and it, it really hit me, like, during those moments, two things. One, it became very commonplace for me to put on my armor to go to the next building. But two, um, I had to put on my armor to go to the next building, and it hit me that our students, um, not all of them, but some of the students in our district have to go through the same exact exercise every day. They have to worry about their routes to and from trauma. school. They have to, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, that, it's that trauma and having to have that on their mind whilst trying to move forward. Uh, in their educational studies. And, you know, I was thinking of my own kids who just, you know, walk down the street, hop on the bus and are, you know, suburban school district, and they don't have to worry about that ever. I mean, they might see something on the news that bothers them for a couple of days, but it's so much different when it can actually happen to you or it does happen to you or it happens to your brother or your sister or your cousin or your aunt or your uncle. And uh, Absolutely. You know, growing up in this... Yeah, growing up where I grew up, you know, and I was definitely shot at long before I went in the military, and I understand, you know, that that flood of feelings that comes on the first time that happens and then how it becomes commonplace, and that's actually the worst thing that can happen to our students is that the trauma stops feeling like trauma, and it starts to feel normal. That's a very Uh, powerful point that you just made. You know, 
you are doing a lot. And I, again, was very compelled to share your story and your work with our listeners because it is a concrete example when we talk about traumatic experiences that our students have had and are having in their plight to gain equitable access to simply a quality education. That's very real. I'd like to have you share information about what you're most proud of in terms of your work. Because again, we commend the work that you're doing. We need you to stay motivated and we need you to stay charged there in the Kansas City Public School District because the children need you. What what motivates you? What are you most proud of in summary here as it relates to your work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I've been here um, going on a year since June 1st. I will have been here a year. And some of the things that I'm most proud of is how we've been able to move the needle substantially in that short amount of time. So um, one of the very first things I did was right after school started last year, or this current school year, I did a walkthrough and I noticed that our students at elementary school, their computers were dying minutes after they would take them out of the cart. The computers were extremely old and they just were not lasting and a lot of teachers had stopped using them. And we have this curriculum that's, you know, having students get on the computer to do project-based learning and these other activities, and those computers were dying. So um, I had been here maybe 60 days um, when I went and asked my cabinet and my board for $2 million to replace all of those computers. Mm-hmm. And they said yes. Um, wow. so that's it, awesome. Uh, that was, yeah, it, it is. And that was the first project that we did. Um, was to replace all of those old computers with new Chromebooks. And we did something um, that was kind of new for Kansas City Public Schools, which was we partnered with our curriculum department and our school leadership to make sure that every teacher who was receiving these Chromebooks in their classrooms were trained on how to use them before the stuff was delivered. Um, That's huge, and it doesn't happen all the time. And what ends up happening is the process of educational technology gets broken where curriculum gets taught to the teachers and they learn how to do their curriculum. But then technology is bought and then placed in the classrooms and the teachers are never taught how to align those two things. Mm -hmm. And it ends up hurting our students because we end up measuring screen time thinking that it's learning that's happening. Great point. Then we, yeah. And we wonder why our outcomes aren't happening. So the other thing that we did um, very soon after I got here is we, we partnered with the 1 million project and we ended up in this was our second year. Our first year, we ended up with uh, about 200 students that were able to get free Wi-Fi hotspots to take home and use for their computers. And this year, we were able to bump that number up to 1,400 um, of our high schoolers that have um, free Wi-Fi access at home now for their devices that they take home every day. Because again, you don't get the value out of sending computers home if the students don't have access to the internet to do the assignments. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we've been able to do that. We've been able to put a new um, focus on our cybersecurity efforts. I've been able to get a, a lot of really good people to come to Kansas City Public Schools. I've now had two tech directors that have been willing to give up their title of director and come work here at Kansas City Public Schools as wow. managers and assistant directors um, because they believe in the change that we're making happen here. So we that's, are, that's really, really huge. We, oh, it sorry, is huge. It is huge, and we are proud of the work that you're doing. And that's actually one of the many reasons why I started to host this podcast show, because 
There are many educators like you and other practitioners that are doing some amazing things, sometimes against all odds. And I hosted this show and I'm happy to have you on because the goal is to highlight and to spotlight, place the spotlight on districts like yours and individual like you that are, again, doing things to make a difference. You have a lot of information that you can share about the successes that you've had, the struggles that you've overcome. Would you be willing to share in the form of sharing any contact information that you would like to make available to the listening audience that would be interested in contacting you? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way uh, to contact me is going to be through my my LinkedIn account. Uh, that's where I do posting about the work that we're doing here in my department of Kansas City Public Schools. I also post about the amazing things happening in other areas of our district because um, it's not just my department. It's the entire district working to turn this district around. Um, and the, the other thing to do if you want to contact me uh, personally is you can shoot me a email at jphillips at kansascitypublicschools.org. Uh, and that would be the the second best way. But honestly, I, I'd probably check my LinkedIn messages uh, more often than my email. So that's going to be the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mr. Phillips. And I'd like to thank you, listening audience, for tuning in on a regular basis to my spotlight, excuse me, my podcast show entitled, What's Really Going On? A Spotlight on Solutions to Improving Student Achievement in America's public schools. And again, please do be mindful that you may access this podcast and others via Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, Google Play, and my website, which is sonyawhitaker.com, S-O-N-Y-A-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R.